Welcome to Vision of Zion. I'm meeting again with Sean White. Hello, Sean. How are you doing? Hi, Craig. Thanks for having me again. Oh, happy to have you on. This is Easter week, and uh, the Holy Week is coming to a close. We're doing this on Saturday, April the 8th. And tomorrow, of course, is the celebration of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, we are going to continue to go through the book of Isaiah, but we're not going to go sequentially, 1 through 66. We're going to kind of jump around because some of the chapters, I believe, Sean, seem to be more relevant at this time than others. And so we're, I think we're focusing or you're focusing on those that you feel impressed to cover. And then we'll go, I know you've got several other chapters to go through after this one, correct? Yes. I just um, been praying about which ones to do first, and uh, it seems to be guided to things that are important today that can help us and help us prepare for the coming year, really. Okay. And we're also going to not only do chapters from Isaiah, there's other topics that we're going to cover about the last days, things that Sean has seen and also that are scriptural or other witnesses of the same events. So yeah. I, I have a set of notes. I was able to fit all the notes for the last Isaiah chapter we did. Isaiah, I think it was 18, wasn't it? I believe so. And it was a it's a short chapter, only a, I think eight verses. So it was easy to put all the notes that you had compiled into the description of the podcast. But there's a 4,000 letter limit. And so I can't put all the notes here, but... I'm going to try and put it in transcript form and attach it to this podcast for downloading. So we'll figure out how to do that as time goes on. All right. So we've been using the translation of the book of Isaiah uh, provided by Afraham Gileadi. I also have the King James Version before me. And shall we get started then with these verses? Yeah, if you want to read verse one. Okay, Isaiah 28, 1. Let me get my make sure I've got the whole verse showing on the screen. Okay, here we go. Isaiah 28, verse 1. Woe to the garlands of glory of the drunkards of Ephraim. Their crowning splendor has become as fading wreaths on the heads of the opulent, overcome with wine. Okay, Sean, your thoughts on that? Um, as I wrote about this and studied it, I felt the tribe of Ephraim today mostly lives within NATO-type countries. The United States has built up a lot of pride and boastfulness. We've become more prideful than the other countries of the world. We've grown to feel like we're too good to live like other countries. We feel kind of like a blessed or chosen people, like we're we're too good to live that way. We have oftentimes seen Americans look down their noses and have little empathy for people of other countries because we have felt like we're too good. This kind of translates in a way to like being drunk or being a drunk for drunkard in pridefulness. And this is how Isaiah is comparing the growing pride of the Ephraimites to a drunkard because a drunkard loses sight of everyone but himself. He has no regard for others' well-being. And over time, a drunkard will lose his job, 
his family, and his way of life. This is symbolic of the fading flower in this verse. Let me make some comments about that. I've studied the word Ephraim, and we've never even talked about this before, but this might also support your uh, view that in the NATO countries are the tribes of Ephraim. So let me explain it this way. When I researched what happened after King David, so we know it went from King David to Solomon, and then Solomon, his kids had a splitting up. I think it was Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And if I don't get all this exactly right, forgive me. But what I do know is that the kingdom of Israel was split in two, and, it be, and they became actually at some points warring factions. There was the northern kingdom, which was Israel, and there was the southern kingdom, which was Judah. And when the Assyrians came and carried off the uh, 10 tribes that were located in Israel, another word for those tribes, they called them collectively Ephraimites. And I can't remember where I read that. I can't give you a source, but I assume it's because Ephraim was either a dominant tribe. Maybe they had, uh, they were a larger tribe. I'm not sure exactly why, but they became known collectively as Ephraimites. And we know that those 10 tribes were scattered. Some of the, those 10 tribes went into the North countries and they're predicted to come back literally in the last days, along with the city of Enoch. So we see a real literal gathering. It's in the Articles of Faith of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I think it's Article 10, Article of Faith number 10. So, yeah. And then, of course, if you look at the history, Abraham has this amazing Abrahamic covenant that his children would be as numerous as the sands upon the sea or the stars in the heaven. And that gets passed on to Isaac, his son, and then Jacob. And then Jacob passes it on once Reuben loses a birthright. It goes to Joseph, and Joseph has two children, Ephraim and Manasseh. And Manasseh was older, was supposed to get the birthright, but Jacob, Israel, Jacob, who became known as Israel, he was told to put his hands on the head of Ephraim and give him the greater blessing. So that's where the blessing of Abraham pastor was to Ephraim, the blessing of having you know many children. And, and I believe that when we use the term Ephraim, we're talking about all of the children of Israel who spread throughout the world in the Gentile nations. So yes, I do agree with you that Ephraim and the tribe of Ephraim, or how that word is used, refers to the scattered seeds of Abraham. And of course, Abraham in Genesis 17, it says that he would be a father of many nations. So not just a father of many children, but many nations and kings and rulers would come out of him. So when the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints was was set up, and when the what we believe is the restored gospel, which means that the plain and precious parts of what was missing were brought back to earth again through priesthood and keys and authority, it was the tribes of Ephraim who responded initially to the call. And this is all, I believe, prophesied and part of the plan. And they have served a leadership position. So in America, now we look at these Gentile countries, but the tribes of Ephraim, the tribe of Ephraim is scattered throughout these uh, countries. And so uh, we've been using, as I mentioned before, uh, we have, you know, the United States being compared to Egypt. We also have it being compared to the tribe of Ephraim, or maybe even in a broader context, more than the United States. But the United States has been very 
uh, tied up with the northern European countries. And so uh, so I think you're right on the Ephraim part. I'm just, I know it's a big, long explanation, but I hope that's something that I've researched before that just happens to fit in with what you're talking about, I believe. One of the things that I saw in my studies over this was that the tribe of Ephraim occupied most of what we now call today Syria and had their capital city of Damascus. And uh, they were one of the first ones that were uh, captured and kind of let out of the groups there, which I thought was okay. very interesting. Another thing to talk about is what Avraham Gileadi says. If you go to his website, Isaiah Explained, he points out that the garlands of glory means these are garlands that were earned in the past. So, but they're fading. The glory of this nation, the glory of the tribe of Ephraim is fading. And they're overcome with, let's say, sin and wickedness. He said the word opulent has a double meaning, but anyway, basically drunk and proud, as I recall what he said. And so we have to ask ourselves, hmm, looking in the mirror, is this our country? Is this the Western countries, you know, uh, the Western civilizations? I think it is. I, you know, I'd always try to relate this to part of my uh, vision or my walk with the Savior. And what I saw was almost, you know, all of the house of Israel and the posterity of Israel had made covenants to serve God. And even some had more tight and stringent covenants placed upon them, which I saw as a tribe of Ephraim. And um, the, with this covenant and everything, if we're not serving God, no matter where we're at or anything, throughout history, they have been really tried. I mean, the Lord is just not happy with them when they break their covenants or they break their lineage and what's all about their lineage. The short version is covenants are a blessing when we keep our covenants and they're a cursing when we don't. And yes. part of that cursing is we give the Lord permission to chastise us, right? Yes. Okay. On to verse two. My Lord has one, excuse me. My Lord has in store one mighty and strong as a ravaging hailstorm sweeping down, or like an inundating deluge of mighty waters, he will hurl them to the ground by his hand. You know, I love this verse in that um, we always want to watch within Isaiah for code words or code names. And here he's using the code name of mighty and strong one. And this provides us a word link to many other scriptures and things. One of my favorite is DNC 85. And uh, I don't have the exact verse. And it shall come to pass that I, the Lord God, will send one mighty and strong, holding a scepter of power in his hand, clothed in light for a covering, whose mouth shall utter words, eternal words, while his bowels shall be a fountain of youth, to set in order the house of God, and arranged by lot inheritances of the saints whose names are found in the names of our fathers and their children enrolled in the book of the law of God. Now, we just need to keep in mind this name, Mighty and Strong, and kind of book in that back file cabinet of our mind and watch these word hints, because here he's dropping a word hint to the identity of the servant and the power that's given to him to act in God's name. 
as he prepares a path for the Savior to come. This is a pattern much like what John the Baptist did in before the Savior came, because without John the Baptist paving the way, it, Christ couldn't have done what he did. And so we're going to have a, a servant that Isaiah describes paving the way for our Savior to come again, to get the earth ready, to r- remove the wicked, to strengthen the righteous, and protect the righteous. All right, so mighty and strong. Uh, is it a person? The answer is yes, because it says he, he will will hurl them to the ground by his hand. So um, I think it's the Lord... I mean, I, someone could say it's ambiguous. My Lord has in store and he will do this. But I think it's pretty clear uh, that it's that the he is referring to someone who the Lord is going to send to help complete his work. And that verse you read from was DNC 85.7. And you can also read more about uh, these kinds of individuals. If you go read 35.21 as well, the Savior interpreting the book of Isaiah refers to a servant and another key phrase i've noticed sean i don't know if it's the same person i think it is is when it says the arm of the lord yes I think uh, that also you, is another reference to the to this uh person you want to be careful though because there's the right hand of god and the left hand of god or the right arm and so we're talking about two different individuals the left hand or the left arm is the king of Assyria, which is allowed to, it's like for the wicked to kill the wicked. And then the right hand is given power when the left hand starts to attack the righteous ones of God's children. So there is that difference. Although I have to excuse uh, everybody, excuse if if you hear a bunch of noise in the background, I'm not in a soundproof room. There's a car show here in town, and there's cars with loud mufflers. There's the fire department going by with sirens. So I, if that comes through, I apologize. Let's okay. see. Let's go to the next verse. Okay. The proud garlands of the drunkards of Ephraim shall be trodden underfoot, and the fading wreaths, the crowns of glory on the heads of the opulent, shall be like the first ripe fruit before summer harvest. He who sees it devours it the moment he has hold of it. This is a warning given to the pridefully for mites who are drunk on their own pride. Their way of life will be ruined. They will be brought low. It is through these actions that maybe some of the Ephraimites' hearts will be turned back to God and he can heal them. As they begin to put God first in their lives, the Ephraimites become ripe before they reach maturity, much like the wild Grapes that were described in Isaiah six and in or I'm sorry Isaiah five and in Jacob five, they are not reaching their full maturity before they die. And I found it really interesting to find these links back to these other scriptures and what they're talking about, which opens up a whole new line of stories, and uh, it also word links for me back into. I uh, can't remember what chapter, but it says, and I will smite them, and through smiting them, I will heal them. And uh, as I read many stories about 
King David this week and uh, understood the battles and things there and the battle when Joshua went through or wrote about how he, the Lord uses these things and then he shows his hand and it's an undeniable measure to see God working among them because they couldn't have done it themselves after he's humbled them. So besides the Ephraimites, we have these other tribes of Israel that are going to come forth in righteousness in the last days. Once the Gentiles, which again, I'm going to suggest that when we talk about Gentiles, we talk about Gentile nations. Okay. Not talking about Gentiles per se, because throughout all of the countries of the world, there are Israelites and mainly Ephraimites. So we see the Ephraimites declining and then I want to read this verse from Micah chapter 5, verse 8. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles in the midst of many, as a lion among the beasts of the forest, as a young lion among the flocks of sheep, who, if he go through, both treadeth down and teareth in pieces, and none can deliver. This sounds to me a lot like what's going to happen to the Ephraimites in this verse. They're going to be trodden down underfoot uh they're not going to be able to rely on past glories past successes past righteousness and they're going to be devoured and i think this is similar to what we read about in micah chapter 5 verse 7 which is also quoted by the savior when he describes the servant in 35 chapter 21 and of course it goes on to say i'm sorry it says a bunch of other things are going to happen they're going to cut off the enemies they're going to cut off the horses out of the midst, destroy the chariots, cut off the cities, um, throw down the strongholds, cut off witchcraft, have no more soothsayers, cut off the graven images. I mean, all this stuff is going to come to an end. One thing I want to remind everybody out there is the word links to different types of people. And the one people that God, once he's tried, tested to see that they will not waver in his trust and everything else, is a group the, that he calls Zion or Jerusalem, if, if I remember right. And then through this, these type of people are the ones that can clearly hear God's voice. They've gotten rid of all evil about them. They have no desire to do evil, only to build up the kingdom of God. And God always protects this group of people and helps them. And uh, it's so beautiful to see this come out throughout Isaiah in many chapters. So amidst all this, there's good things going on as well. So let's read the next verse. In that day shall Jehovah of hosts be as a crown of beauty, and wreath of glory to the remnant of his people. There's that remnant word that I just referred to in Micah 5, 7. A spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment, a source of strength to those who repulse the attack at the gates. This, Yeah, this verse is addressing this residue, this small portion of people that I was just describing who can hear God's voice and heed his warnings. And then he will send his servant to strengthen them who sat in judgment against those who ruled over you. So in a, he's also saying that this servant will sit in judgment over those that ruled wickedly over you. 
And this servant will be a strength to you to keep away the king of the Syrian alliance that seeks to destroy the righteous. I think it's an important sequence. The Lord allows the uh, the drunkards of Ephraim to fall and be trodden down before he comes to the rescue and erects a new beauty, a new crown, a new wreath of glory through his remnant. I saw, as I was studying this week, that there's also a, basically a pattern as Moses led the people out of Egypt and they were alone in the desert and they were tried, if, you know, they were there for 40 years, but they had to kind of test them alone away from everything to see if they were humble enough or they would turn back and go back to their old way of life. And uh, this is kind of the same pattern here. It's, it's beautiful. And then when they didn't think that God would look after them or someday, well, we got no water, we have no food. And then as they put their staff down many a time, water came up and manna came from heaven and they were taken care of. In one verse, I see that they had no sore feet in all their walking and going that, oh, I think it was like 1,100 miles or 1,100 miles that verse says they had no sore feet. Mm. And I was like, that is really a blessing. Is there more to this than what we're seeing? Let's go to the next verse. These two have indulged in wine and are giddy with strong drink. Priests and prophets have gone astray through liquor. They are intoxicated with wine and stagger because of strong drink. They err as seers. They blunder in their decisions. For all tables are filled with vomit. No spot is without excrement. It's a loaded verse, Sean. It is. And it's, but when we, you know, I mean, we all want to, whatever religion we are, we tend to focus and say, that's our leaders. And I want to zoom out with our minds right now and look at the whole world or the whole country and see that religious leaders all over, there's different ones that have become prideful one to, to one degree or another. Pride in this vision, in, the, in this verse, has caused them to err, and they've disconnected with God, whether they've gotten large, opulent churches and disconnected from the people and are more concerned about TV and the money that TV can bring in and donations. And then... As we talk about the vomit, that's that's a regurgitation of words. Um, so no new information or guidance is coming forth. Later in Isaiah and other scriptures, we'll see how this is connected even to the watchmen that fall asleep. And the towers are erected to warn them of incoming things. And this has allowed the wild olives to come into the graveyard, into the vineyard, I'm sorry, or the wild you know, because uh, the wild ones ripen before they're fully developed and fall from the tree, and they're not very edible. They're not full of this flavorful fruit. So I, I have two. Go, go ahead, ahead, please. I have uh, two go, thoughts about this. Uh, go ahead. One, one is two thoughts. One is that I believe that we see good men, good women, leaders in our within our various churches who are unable to talk about 
certain issues publicly. And I think, or they are limited because their mouths are closed because we're not ready or able to receive additional light and knowledge. Perhaps the Lord holds back additional light and knowledge, as well as there's so much turmoil today. We've seen a dramatic change in this country just in five years. And I think people are afraid to say things that need to be said. And so I'd say either they're, it's uh, a difficult time to speak the truth. Uh, and it is also, they're limited to some extent by what we are able to absorb and to receive. I went back to the Book of Mormon and remembered stories there, like in Mosiah 21, 15. And now the Lord was slow to hear their cry because of their iniquities. But there were many times, too, that when the Lord says, I am slow to hear their cries because they don't do what I ask them to do. And um, we can kind of see that. And I mean, I love that there's been different ones that testified how wicked our generation is. We've gotten accustomed to living through this and everything. But like Ezra Taft Benson had said, uh, our generation will be comparable in wickedness to the days of Noah. And that was clear back in 19, March 4th, 1979, when he said that. And um, then President Gordon B. Hinckley said, the traditional family is under attack. I do not know that things were worse than the times of Sodom and Gomorrah. We see similar conditions today that prevail all across the world. I think our father must sweep us sweep as he looks down upon weep as he i'm sorry must weep as he looks down upon a, his wayward sons and daughters and that says a lot and that was back in 2004 and um it's it just i've seen christianity fall we have seen you know a high of christianity in the united states in 1976 of 91% of the people here that said they were christians and last year, 64% said they were Christians. And this is a large change. And especially when we have live in this choice land, um, Ether 910, through several verses in this area, he really hammers it in. For behold, this land, which is choice above all other lands, wherefore he that doth possess it shall serve God or be swept off. For it is an everlasting decree of God, and it's not until the fullness of iniquity among the children of the land that they are swept off. And I say to all of us, are we ripened in iniquity? Are abortions, do we have record high abortions? Are we record high in divorced couples? Are murders not at a record high? I think the real warning is all, as when other civilizations are ripened in destruction comes from like Helaman 13, 14. When you cast out the righteous from among you, then you shall be ripe for destruction. And um, I've been watching the news and stuff, Washington, D.C., a couple of years ago when Trump was in there. They said to one minister, we don't want you here anymore. We want you gone. Zelensky here in the last two weeks has said to the head of the church over there, the Russian Orthodox Church, that if they don't get out of that 
historic monastery that was built in 1051 that he's going to arrest him and arrest the other monks in there. And um, casting out our righteous is just one of these amazing signs that we need to watch for, for when we're ripened in destruction and how it probably will continue to get worse and worse. Well, I know it will get worse and worse. And um, there's just uh, so much to watch for in these days because we know it's going to get tougher and tougher. So that triggers some other verses that are in Ether chapter 2 that have not only are we describing ancient days, we're describing ancient days because there's a pattern and we're being told these things. So yes, if you look at the Israelites in the Old Testament, they they lost their prophets. They lost guidance. There was a huge gap. If you're a Christian, you believe there's a gap between the book of Malachi, pretty much, and then the time of the Savior coming. That's like a 400-year period. It's a massive period. And we see difficulties once the Israelites wanted a king, how many problems that brought on them, even though they were warned. In the New World, they avoided some of the problems by setting up a system of judges and chief judges, a panel of wise men rather than uh, one leader, which can cause problems when, when the king becomes wicked. And applying these ancient scriptures to modern day, I want to read also from Ether chapter, well, from the book of Ether, and I want to read chapter from chapter 2, starting at verse 10. Because they're talking about the United States, or talking about America. Let's let's use that term more broadly, not just United States. But this is where this podcast is being broadcast from, and this is this is applying to, I'm sure, the this hemisphere. Verse ten: For behold, this is a land which is choice above all other lands. I mean, look at the resources we have. Uh, wherefore, he that doth possess it shall serve God, or shall be swept off. Here's that you know, blessing and cursing, right? For it is the everlasting decree of God, and it is not until the fullness of iniquity among the children of the land that they are swept off. Are we reaching the point where our iniquity is full? Verse 11, this cometh unto you, O ye Gentiles. So this is Moroni talking to us as he's reading the book of Ether. He's, He's giving us the understanding that he's including this in the Book of Mormon because it applies to us. O ye Gentiles, that ye may know the decrees of God, that ye may repent and not continue in your iniquities until the fullness comes, that ye may not bring down the fullness of the wrath of God upon you as the inhabitants of the land have hitherto done. He's kind of saying, learn from the Jaredites. That's who's talked about in the Book of Ether. Learn from my people and the mistakes they made. Behold, this is a choice land, and whatsoever nation shall possess it shall be free from bondage and from captivity and from all other nations under heaven, that they will but serve the God of the land, who is Jesus Christ, who hath been manifested by the things which we have written. This is saying the Lord has said this is a sacred land, and freedom must reign, freedom from bondage and captivity. And if not, we're gone. So we look at the controls that are being put into place over people's agency 
and right to choose. I mean, it's it's coming. It's been coming, and it is coming now. Uh, the plans they have to to try and eliminate agency, eliminate uh, the right to hold private property, which is one of the kingpins of freedom in this country, is the right to own things. And when people say you're going to not own anything and you're going to be happy about it, that's contrary to God's plan of happiness. Um, this is not, it's not what's going to happen. You can't force or use the plan of Satan to control people. It will fall apart. But there's a period of time when I think we're going to experience it as if if we reach a fullness of iniquity, which we're on the path without a doubt. And why do I say that? Well, I should get my friend on here, but he's told me for years, his impression is when they start coming after the children, that's when God's going to stop. And there are so many ways that the new generation, young generation is being influenced and corrupted with false ideas and, and trying to normalize wicked behavior. Uh, it's, it's the children are the last straw. And I think he's right. Yeah. He, the children and then the women, and when they're mistreated, it's just, Heavenly Father hates that worse than anything else because of their innocence and their purity, especially the children's, you know, and, and then all their purity and everything. He looks down upon that so much. I'd like to remind us, too, that sadly enough, we've for many, many years, we've gone and listened to our prophets at our conference and things like this, and they've told us to do things, and we go home and we just put it on the shelf. We don't address it. We don't try to incorporate it into our lives. There are many, many examples of this. I'm going to remind us of the example to increase our ministering and to increase the way we uh, look around us in our, what we've been assigned to help families in our church and things like this. Never before in the history of the church has the ministering program been lower than now. It, the numbers have fallen. There's meetings about this and trying to turn it around. But there are many other examples where we've been given something to do and we don't do it. And historically through the scriptures, especially in the Book of Mormon, when we don't do what's asked of us, they cease to give us anything more. And so we're cut off from getting any new information. And therefore, a lot of it is our own fault there <clears throat> yeah it's the double-edged sword of agency okay let's go to the next verse whom shall he give instruction whom shall he enlighten with revelation weanlings weaned from milk those just taken from the breast for it is but line upon line precept upon precept here a little there a little I know this could be tricky to try to understand, but what he's saying is, who will I give instruction to? Whom shall he, meaning God, enlighten with his revelation? And then God responds to them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. The Lord's trying to say to Isaiah, there will be a remnant of my children, a people who can truly hear my voice, who are not dependent upon the arm of the flesh to tell them everything they must do. And Lord, the Lord will teach those that can hear his voice slowly, line upon line, precept on precept, 
and they can have a true testimony of what God is saying at this time, and they can prepare their families. To me, this is so important because in the upcoming days, we'd like to have a cookie cutter stamp and say, well, this is prophet says this, or the leader says this, and my job is to do exactly this. And yet within us, that may not be exactly our role. There are roles of people that are missionary type people. There's roles of gatherers. There's roles of protectors. There's, you know, roles of healers. There's roles of all kinds of things. And if we can't hear God's voice for ourselves and prepare in our own individual way, we're, we won't be able to get more information and be able to help and really be a part of the kingdom of God. So apparently the precept upon precept was repeated twice. I thought you typed it in wrong, line upon line, line upon line. When Gileadi discusses this verse, he 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 speaks it in the Hebrew, and it's kind of like a, a a saying. And I think what he's saying is what you're saying is also is not only we're building upon line upon line, but we're not expected to stay in kindergarten the whole time. We're expected to progress and move through, and and absorb and accept uh, higher principles and higher understanding and he's you know wants us to move on past the the abcs and get into more of the meat from the milk and i think that's where this next verse really you know expounds upon this idea verse 11 therefore by incomprehensible speech and a strange tongue must he speak to these people to whom he said this is rest let the weary rest. There is a respite, but they would not listen. It is by the Holy Ghost that we he will teach us and enlighten the remnant of these children. The still small voice of the Holy Ghost is strange to many. We, we haven't encompassed it in our life and are afraid of listening to it. And President Nelson had told us in the upcoming days, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, comforting, constant influence of the Holy Ghost. Our prophet has also asked us to strive to seek, to speak with God face to face. Moses also invited the people to do the same thing and come with him to the top of the mountain to speak with God. And they all refused and said, no, you go up to the top of the mountain for us. And uh, while he was gone for 40 days, we know the story. They built idols and everything else because they didn't have the guiding influence of the Holy Ghost. And they they turned back to their old ways. Hmm. So are we ignoring the guidance of our prophet and ignoring the advice in improving our ministering program? And we will become weary as we are attacked by the adversary and really not seeking to hear God's voice. Let's read the next verse. So to them, the word of Jehovah remained, line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, that persisting they might lapse into stumbling and break themselves, become ensnared and be taken captive. For me, this was saying, God, God is saying, I have always been there trying to teach you little by little so you would avoid falling backwards becoming snared and taken into bondage. And um, 
that has always been the case that the Holy Ghost and the whisperings have always been there. It's whether or not we can hear them. There's a verse in um, the book of Alma where he says that the wicked, when we become wicked, we start to lose our memory of the good things until we don't know anything concerning the power or the beauty of the God, power of the gospel or beauty of it. And yes, we can regress. And we're being told here, this is what leads to bondage. And it does. Yeah. It really, it's so little by little that we, it is instilled within us and we just separate ourselves from God. On to the next verses. Therefore, hear the word of Jehovah, you scoffers who preside over these people in Jerusalem. You have supposed by taking refuge in deception and hiding behind falsehoods to have covenanted with death or reached an understanding with Sheol that should a flooding scourge sweep through the earth, it shall not reach you. To understand this verse to me, we must understand that what Isaiah means by Jerusalem to get around this term, we're not talking about a place. We're talking about a code name for people of the world who are indecisive in their commitment to God. The word Jerusalem also describes his children that cannot hear him speak and are dependent upon others like church leaders to tell them everything. He says, you who led these people who cannot hear my voice and take refuge and hide behind falsehoods because you cannot hear me either. So you say to yourself, we must put our trust in man, the arm of flesh, and this scourge of illness comes upon us. We are sure by trusting the arm of flesh, we will not be affected. I know many people re reject the meaning of this verse as they focus solely on their church leaders and do not see the bigger pictures, which is the leaders around the world who have lost their connection with God. You know, as we look today as the leadership of our country, they sure, I don't see them putting their trust in God and connecting with God. In fact, for a while there, we didn't, we even banned prayer in the Capitol and prayer and things, and they separated themselves so far from God. I see us on a tide, which is turning backwards, but it's it's not good. What do you see a tide turning backwards? Well, I see many of uh, leaders in our Congress and stuff. I, I should be careful on how I say backwards because they were all seem to be complacent in being led down this path evil path which our country is kind of going towards destruction and they have turned around and are become very valiant in standing for our freedoms and standing for what is right and righteous like they've gotten a voice and uh, we were blessed in having some of these great leaders see that our freedoms were being taken away and they're standing stronger than ever before on going back and and helping us well, we do have scoffers, just like it says here. It reminds me of the great and spacious building, people poking fun at those who are tasting of the goodness of God at the tree. And we, the tree of life, and we just see people being deceived. There's so much falsity, so much deception out there right now. It's hard for some people to pick through it. 
because you're right, they're they've either lost their grip with God through sin, through um, apathy, and they're just following all kinds of non-traditional, well, I say non-traditional. There's a book out right now that I heard about today, Jonathan Kahn, who's uh, wrote the book called The Harbinger. He wrote a new book called uh, The Return of the Gods. And what it's about is that all the quote-unquote latest trends in the world, what people are believing and embracing are actually a re a reimagination or a bringing back of these gods of old that have been around culture for millennia. It's, it's frightening. False gods. All right. Well, let's go to the next verse here. Verses 16 through 17 of Isaiah 28. Therefore, thus says my Lord Jehovah, I lay, a, I lay in Zion a stone, a keystone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. They who believe it will not do rashly. I will make justice the measure, righteousness the weight. A hail shall sweep away your false refuge, and waters flood the hiding place. I really love this verse because he's linking back to an earlier verse where we talked about the mighty and strong one. Uh, God is telling us that he is preparing a servant to help the remnant that can hear his voice. This servant will be a cornerstone to set up God's kingdom here on earth. This servant that prepares the way for Christ will be a sure and immovable foundation for his kingdom here on earth. Those who do not believe the words of the servant of God they and act rashly will be dealt with like a massive hailstorm. He will expose your refuge in your falsehoods and sweep away their ability to hide. It is a beautiful verse, and I, I take great solace in the fact that at some point in the not-too-distant future, all the false information, the false doctrines, the false teachings, the false ideologies are going to be swept away as the Lord establishes the truth. And he is the rock. He is the cornerstone. And he's going to bring it forth through his servant. Through his, and through other servants, of course, there's more than one person that's going to be helping the Lord. But the Lord is at the helm. He's the, he's the, he's the stone. So I think it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Next verse. Your covenant with death shall prove void. By the way, I see a little, I see a little bit of chiastic structure here. We Covenant with death was mentioned in the, a few verses above. He's going back to it saying, you know, you've covenant with death, and now he's saying the opposite. Your covenant with death shall be void. Your understanding with Sheol shall have no effect. When the flooding scourge sweeps through, you shall be overrun by it. As often as it sweeps through, you shall be seized by it. Morning after morning, it shall sweep through by day and by night. It shall seize you. It shall cause terror merely to hear word of it. I don't know if we explained the word shoal here, but it is it means hell. And so it's you follow the advice of man and trust in what man says more than God. This flooding scourge of illness will overrun you day after day. The advice that you took from man will plague your thoughts, your thoughts to the point you are terrified of thinking this illness is going to kill you. Um, it, it is just 
amazing how God wants us to hear his voice. The bottom line is even if you've been away from God and you haven't heard his voice, that you can still turn back and hear his voice, that it's not too late to renew your relationship with God. The next verse you have marked is a proverb. Uh, the couch is too short to stretch out on, the covering too narrow to wrap oneself in. For Jehovah will rise up as he did on Mount Perizim and be stirred to anger as in the valley of Gibeon to perform his act, his unwanted act, and do his work, his bizarre work. This is so interesting because when we go back and look at Mount Perizim and the valley of Gibeon, and what happened there, it opens up in this verse is like a whole nother chapter in and of itself. Mount Perizium, also known as the Mount of Breakings Forth or Baal Perizium, is a place where David miraculously defeated the Philistines. Word of the miraculous defeat spread to all the lands because they knew that God was with David and they feared David. And that can be referenced back into 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles 14.11. The Valley of Gibeon is where the Israelites defeated the Amorites. The Lord cast stones from heaven upon the Israelites' enemies and causes the sun and moon to stand still, as in, we see in Joshua 10. And now we see no matter how powerful the people think they are or how much they can hide, that God will prevail against all odds. He will do things that seem impossible for man to comprehend to save his righteous children. You know, and when you really read and study these battles and what happened there, there's no way the Israelites should have been victorious in this. And mm. uh, it was just amazing to see how with the power of King David and their belief in God, that amazing, amazing things happened to overcome their enemies. I keep thinking about Moses at the waters of the Red Sea. Uh, leaving Egypt, and he must be thinking, now what do I do? And he's being chastised by some. I think there was one particular person. What are we going to do now? You know, you've lost, led us to death. Here we are. Now what's going to happen? And he steps in the water and parts the, parts the sea. The bottom line is the Lord is going to protect his people, his remnants, no matter what. And it's in the it's in the Book of Mormon at least twice. If he has to call down fire from heaven, and it must be a reference to this here, these these uh, uh, stones uh, uh, coming from the heavens. He says right there, "If I have to do that, I will." I mean, when he makes a covenant with you, and you keep your side of the covenant, God is bound, and he will he will follow through whatever it takes. Hopefully, it won't take that, but it could, and it's. Jesus talks about it. So anyway, I can, we'll go to that some other time. Yeah, it's interesting. To, I would like to make note here that when Moses left with these children from Egypt, that only a third went with him. We oftentimes think they all went, but they didn't. And this third is a predominant uh, factor in hearing God's voice and, and following God that we'll see repeated throughout time isaiah 28 verse 22 now therefore scoff not see how the there you see the chiastic structure he's working backwards he works 
the opposite of uh, death, you know, the covenant with death. Now he's going back to the scoffing, the reversing it. Uh, now, therefore, scoff not, lest your bonds grow severe. For I have heard utter destruction decreed by my Lord, Jehovah of hosts, upon the whole earth. I, I'd like to, I went back to the description of what scoff means, which is to speak about something in a scornful, derisive, derisive or mocking way. So he's addressing the scoffers who mock God, saying, Do not scoff at my words, for I will destroy you from the face of the earth. Hmm. Let's read verses 23 through 26, uh, which is a, some kind of a parable here. Give heed and hear my voice. Be attentive and listen to what I say. Will the plowman be forever plowing to sow seed, disking and harrowing the same ground? When he has smoothed its surface, does he not sprinkle fennel and scatter cumin? Does he not demarcate wheat from barley and plant buckwheat in its own plot? This God instructs him, directing him in the proper procedure. It sounds like it's talking about the one mighty and strong again, uh, you know, as a, as a parable. Um. Many times Isaiah will reference the voice, God's voice, and that really, it is the servant. God's voice here on earth at this time is the servant that Isaiah describes. Give heed and hear my voice. Be attentive and listen to what I say. A farmer, he does not always plow. He must plant seeds at a certain time. He does you know, as we think back to the day when Isaiah was there and not to the technology that we have today, how does he know when to plant? How does he know what seeds are what seeds? If you and I were to go out today, very few people could actually separate the seeds and know what seeds they are. But you see that he will pray and listen to God's voice. Now that we in our modern day depend upon computers and companies to do all these things. We depend on them to do the right thing because we don't have this knowledge. But in Isaiah's day, this was not the case. God is saying that as we face uncertainty in the future, turn your hearts to me and I will lead you and your family safely when you don't know what to do. And I just love that, you know, I mean, you can initially look at this verse and be so confused and not understand it. But when you start to break it apart, it, it is beautiful pattern what he's trying to say to us. And it, it does parallel nicely with what President Nelson has said. You have to wonder why he said what he said about you know, we won't be able to survive in coming days without the guiding those four things that this Holy Ghost gives us. And you have to wonder why. Why is it that we have to have the Holy Ghost? Why isn't it enough to go to general conference or go to church every week? I, I really think that there's just things that can't be said because we have indifferent individual needs. And therefore, it's a glorious thing to get personal revelation, as you're saying, for your family and your family's safety, how to how to operate. I just think there's things that are not being can't be said, you know, publicly or generally, maybe, because each situation is different. And 
the part other part of me says, gee, are we going to lose communication ability? Are we going to be cut off from the ability to hear the voice of the prophet or the voice of our leaders? And we'll be on our own for a period. So we have to have that guiding influence. You know, again, back to the children of Israel, Moses is up on the mountain and they are, you know, making a golden calf to worship while he's gone for just a few days. It doesn't take long when the prophet is gone, if we don't have the spirit with us to go astray. So we've got to cultivate that. That's why I felt strongly that we ought to do a podcast in the future about personal revelation and identify the mm. different ways that people feel and hear that voice in their lives so that each one of our listeners can understand how it affects people in different ways and hearing God's voice. Let's read the last uh, three verses, Isaiah 28, 27 through 29. Fennel is not threshed with the sharp tooth sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over cumin. Fennel is beaten out with a stick and cumin with a rod. Domestic grain is ground. One does not go on endlessly threshing it. It cannot be ground by driving horse and threshing cart over it. These things originate with Jehovah of hosts, whose counsel is wonderful, whose inspiration is surpassing. Today we're so far separated from farming and the harvest of crops that we do not understand how it should be done. Once again, we depend upon man. As God destroys the wicked and tests us to see if we're truly faithful to him, can we turn to him for guidance and do the seemingly impossible? I see us coming up on things before us as things are taken away from us, like their ability to go to the store and buy grain, and we don't know how to mill it into flour, or we don't know how to do things that we took for granted and we can turn back to God and teach us these things. I mean, he taught these people with these crops how to do it better and better. He taught us in different ways to make the factories that we now have through righteous people and promptings and things. And if we have to go backwards and we lose these things, we can know that we can hear these whisperings and trust Heavenly Father to guide us in these ways. And we'll see this repeated in other chapters. And I think it's so beautiful. Very good. Well, that ends our review of Isaiah chapter 28. Did you have anything else that you wanted to add? No, I, I think that covers it very well. Why don't we give our audience a little bit of a teaser about what we might cover next podcast? Well, this next one has been a hard one. I haven't been able to write about it for a long time. And through some promptings of Craig and others, I decided to finally write it down. It was a, a very shaking vision of what I saw in the future at a certain time. And we'll call this the December raid in which uh, many people are captured. And uh, we go in as a righteous group and, and do some amazing things with our Heavenly Father's help. Okay. Well, until next time, this is Vision of Zion. My guest again today, Sean White. Sean, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Craig.